Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this show. When you're done listening, I hope you take a minute and write a quick review on whichever radio or podcast platform you've heard this show. Your insights will help others to be inspired and encouraged. I have a great show for you today. I'll teach you that there are four categories of people in your life, and I'll help you realize which ones to invest your time and energy in when you're struggling. These individuals will give you wise counsel, even if they don't understand, but they will always support you. I'll also be interviewing Rachel Michaelberg, who was put in a very precarious situation when her husband survived a plane crash and she became his caretaker. She was left with a choice. Will she dedicate her life to caring for a man she no longer loves or walk away? In today's episode, Rachel shares her memoir, Crash, How I Became a Reluctant Caregiver. This book tackles a pervasive dilemma in our culture, the moral conflicts individuals face when caregiving for a disabled or cognitively impaired family member. For more information about Rachel, please visit rachelmauthor.com. You may also purchase her book on Amazon. Surrounding yourself with healthy people. The majority of us like to think we're pretty kind to other people. And more than likely, that's true. Sometimes we try and befriend a person, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't click. Or maybe they just don't like you. And for people like you and me, that's kind of odd because, well, everybody likes us. But that's actually not true. <laughs> and I'll explain why. In psychology, we teach that there are actually four different types of categories of people in your life. And for easy purposes, we'll say out of 100 people, each category represents 25 people. The bottom category are those people who don't like you. Doesn't matter what you say or do, they're just not gonna like you. The third category are those people who don't like you and wouldn't even support you, but could probably be talked into liking or supporting you sometime or another. But that relationship is still pretty tenuous. In other words, it probably won't last. The second category are those individuals who like you, but for whatever reason, there's a falling out, a misunderstanding, and then your friends again. Or it's that frenemy, you love them, but you hate them. But there's a part of you that just doesn't really trust them. And that's another relationship that more than likely won't last. And then the top category, the first category, are those individuals who will love you, who will support you, who will rally behind you when you're struggling. Think about all the people that you know. Do you think you'd be able to accurately place them in one of these four categories? Some of them, I'm sure it's very obvious, but others may not be as obvious. Because if you're spending all of your energy the same way for all four categories, unfortunately, you're, quote, wasting 75% of your energy. So when you make hard decisions or you do things in your life, perhaps you want people's input or their wise counsel, are you asking the people in the top category? Another thing to think about is in your friend group or at work, are you trying to become friends with someone who just doesn't like you or they could take you or leave you? That doesn't feel very good. One of my favorite quotes is, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. Think back on times in your life when you reached out to someone who may not be in that top category. What was the result? Did you feel empowered? Did you feel loved? Did you feel a bond or a connection with them? More than likely not. When you have to make decisions or life throws something at you, I would really encourage you to focus on those individuals that are in the top category, the people who always love and support you regardless of what you say or do. Because those individuals are the ones you need to help you when you're emotionally struggling. And once you really practice this, you'll realize that you don't have to give out as much energy as possible. <laughs> One thing I always pay attention to is I put myself in the categories of other people. So for example, if someone were to see me, they could say James is in the first category, or James is in the third category, or maybe James is in the fourth category. And I allow myself not to like people. What I mean by that is this, I'm always kind, I'm always cordial, and I'm always classy. 
but it doesn't mean I want to spend time with him. It doesn't mean I want to hang out with him, but I always present myself in a way that is amicable, that is courteous. Now, don't let this be an excuse to say, well, James said I don't have to like people. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all, but I am giving you permission to realize you don't have to like everybody and everybody doesn't have to like you either. So the lesson today is simple. Life is going to give you so many choices, so many opportunities. And if you're looking for other people's affirmation or other people's approval, 75% of these people are not going to give it to you. You are going to have to make very difficult decisions in life. Some that people won't understand. And perhaps even the people in the top category won't understand, but they will support you. And that's the distinction. So be mindful of the people with whom you associate. Be mindful of the counsel you receive from individuals. Because if they're not in that top category, more than likely, they don't have your best interest in mind. I have a wonderful interview today with Rachel Michaelberg. She had a huge decision to make, and I'm sure many people in her life told her what she should or should not do, but she surrounded herself with individuals who could support her, who were in that top category, and she made the healthiest decision for her. So stay tuned. Have you ever thought, gosh, I'd love to start my own radio show or podcast, but I have no idea how to do it? Or are you a seasoned veteran who wants to level up and improve all aspects of your show? Well, I will be working with a select few to help you either start or polish your show. These are a few topics I will teach you. How to create your brand and how to be specific with your niche and your audience. The types of equipment you should use to help you improve the quality of your audio and your video. I'll teach you how to get your show aired on most podcasting platforms, as well as give you an option to create a video podcast. I'll teach you which recording platforms are best for your needs, as well as teach you the importance of having a show clock. The do's and don'ts of writing your own show notes that will help increase the reach of your audience and generate traffic to your website. I'll also introduce you to some of my contacts and previous guests. I'll also be offering a select few the opportunity to broadcast your show on my platform and have access to my three and a half million listeners. So if you're ready to start or level up your show, then visit www.jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash work with James and sign up today. It's time, my friend, for you to stand out and share your message with the world. Once again, visit www.jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash work with James to get started today. My guest today is author Rachel Michaelberg, who was put in a very precarious situation when her husband survived a plane crash and she became his caretaker. She was left with a choice. Will she dedicate her life to caring for a man she no longer loves or walk away? In today's episode, Rachel shares her memoir, Crash, How I Became a Reluctant Caregiver. This book tackles a pervasive dilemma in our culture, the moral conflicts individuals face when caregiving for a disabled or cognitively impaired family member. Welcome to my show, Rachel. Thank you. Nice to be here. I am looking forward to this. We've had such a wonderful time in the pre-call. You have so many things in common. And so I know you and I are going to be fast friends even after the show is over with. So once again, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Really, really great to meet you and to be here. Thank you. You, this is your first book and it has, it's getting so many wonderful reviews and, but you know, overall, and we'll jump into this in a minute, it's a huge dilemma, the, the conflict of what does one do? And I remember when, when Caitlin, who's an amazing publicist, when she sent me your information, I was like, okay, I've heard this before, but then she told me more about it. I was like, oh my goodness, I am intrigued. And I know that people... In fact, I, I don't, you don't know this, but I told some people about the show prior and they were like, they were guessing what you did. And I said, well, you're just going to have to tune in and find out <laughs> because it was interesting to hear most, some people chose one, one way, other people chose another way. So, um, all, with all that in mind, and I'm creating the suspense for everybody, but I want to jump into your backstory. So you are not, you were not originally an author. What is your backstory? No. So I am a, a trained opera singer. It's amazing. So... <laughs> Uh, also doing a lot of musical theater. Uh, uh -huh. So I have a degree in vocal performance and did a lot of uh, professional opera and 
musical theater. I also became a cantor in a synagogue. I was also, wow. uh, officially a cantorial soloist because that's not my uh, degree. Uh-huh. Um, oh, cantors are like uh, doctors. You know, you you earn the oh, degree of four year postgraduate degree, right? Um, but did you know choir conducting and music directing, vocal directing for theater musicals, everything from My Fair Lady to Sound of Music wow. to The Music Man, uh, and um, then this traumatic thing happened wow. and. Uh, I just, it hit me that I had a story. I had this Mm -hmm. story that was unusual. And I want to revisit what you just said Mm -hmm. about, you know, this story has been told before about a tragic event happening and it changing people's lives Mm -hmm. dramatically. But in my case, um, I was struggling with the, with this role being thrust upon me of caregiver uh, because my husband and I had been married for about 10 years. We had two children, ages six and seven. Mm-hmm. And our marriage was was in trouble at the time. Yeah. Uh, it was, we were Part having some event. issues. Mm-hmm. Correct. And mm-hmm. um, it, uh, so when suddenly I was put in this position of becoming his full-time caregiver, yeah. I, it, it brought up a lot of uncomfortable sure. feelings for me. Sure. Uh, and so I'm, not going to tell you exactly what happened, but no, yeah. <laughs> um, it, 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 you know, let's put it this way. I did not embrace that role sure. um, with uh, heroism. And, sure. uh, and so that was an important story I felt needed to be told yeah. because there's an expectation placed upon particularly women in society that mm-hmm. um, something happens and you just you you step up to the plate and sure. you you do what's expected. Mm-hmm. And I That's a key word, understood, expected. expected, and, um, you know, there's an obligation, right? You have a duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in this book, I, I examined that duty and uh, uh, what that meant for me sure. to reject it. Yeah. You know, sometimes people hear things and they automatically have this assumption. And I really like the fact that you use, we use the word expected. So ethics, uh, for people who have heard the word, but may, maybe not too, be too familiar with it, the ethos or the ethics of of something is essentially what the what the society says should be done and then one's morality is based on what one believes is true and right for themselves so the expectation is usually the ethics that society says that a person needs to care care give or whether it's you know we're talking specifically about women should step up and care give so that's what a lot of the ethics of, of society would say but your morality and your morals that did not resonate with you so i really want people to understand the difference between that when it comes to what society says versus what's true for one person because they may not always be the same but they're still just as valid in one's morality well, thank you for, first of all, thank you for clarifying that sure. difference. It's a really important difference. Sure um, and, you know, I wouldn't say that I, uh, they were completely different. I sure, did yeah, feel that I had a huge responsibility to take care of him. Uh, and that was the, the conflict for me yeah. was mm-hmm. I felt the need and um, the desire to, to give him the best possible life, the most dignity that he could have. Uh, with this very severe brain injury, um, and yet what was required to to become that caregiver, I un- I came to understand that that was not um, in order to maintain my personal sanity mm-hmm. and 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 also remain a, a strong parent, parent, single parent to mm-hmm. our two children. Um, 
that 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 just wasn't going to mesh. It, it, yeah. it that situation wasn't going to be uh, viable for you. Possible viable. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. The, so the, the plane crash happened. I'm so sorry about that. Obviously, I can't imagine how devastating that is, regardless of just having someone you love or someone in your life having and being part of a plane crash. Very, very, very devastating. But prior to that, and what you said earlier was there was some difficulties in your marriage. And so with that, since it was on the rocks, things were struggling. Um, and then you're in this position and I'm going to speak for you. These are totally my words. Prior to that, I'm assuming the way things were rolling out to this day, you weren't sure if you weren't sure if you would be with him or not with him. And so when the plane crash happened, and then you're put in this position, thrust in this position of this is what I have to do, still being a single parent, and then the recognition of the person I'm caretaking for, that's now going to dedicate all my life to, and moving in the direction of perhaps divorce already, now that says the choice I have to make is to dedicate the rest of my life to this, how am I going to live? How do I, how do I remain, keep my own individuality? How do I keep my own dreams, my own desires whilst doing that? And so there's such a, such a, a dichotomy there, you know, that, that's, I think that's a really good word we use as far as the, just the fork in the road, if you will. I mean, there's such a disconnect. huge disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, how did yeah. you even decide that? I mean, I, I can't even imagine that. Well, um, in some ways the universe kind of decided it for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I became quite ill myself oh. about, uh, five weeks after the accident. Mm. Um, I had, uh, a, an eating disorder that I had in college, mm-hmm. uh, reared its ugly head. Sure. And, uh, at that time, and, uh, and then I became very ill with a, an abdominal infection that landed me in the hospital. So there was kind of a clarity that, well, my body's also shutting down. Like mm-hmm. I am so stressed, even at the idea of him coming home because sure. he was still in the hospital at this point. Wow. Um, that that's telling me something. I still hadn't made the decision. Sure. It took me another six months or so to okay. really process. Well, I would say it took me yeah, four to six months. It wasn't like overnight. Sure. Um, yeah. but, um, the, you know, the, the things that helped me, the, the various factors that helped me move in that direction or become clear, gain mm-hmm. the clarity I needed were, um, I was doing a lot of yoga at that mm-hmm. time, believe mm-hmm. it or not, that just being on the mat, I just would, yes. would, would sob. I mean, I remember soaking my yoga mat and the yeah. teacher coming over and bringing me a Kleenex. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just helps with the process, right? Yeah, um, is. talking to incredible supportive friends who were just holding my hand the whole time. Um, some of whom are therapists, so that, that helped. Uh, mm-hmm. and then my own therapy, yeah. Uh, just really being honest, just yeah. really digging deep and saying, who am I kidding? Yeah. I, I can't do this. Yeah. And I had his whole family who was, um, uh, particularly his sister who they, they actually were overseas. They were in Israel and in Germany. My husband is German mm-hmm. who were coming over to the States and, and putting some pressure on me to, to take him home. Uh, and, uh, and then he kept having seizures and various of uh, his own physical mm-hmm. uh, problems that, uh, yeah, that were, um, it would sort of give me a, a bit of a reprieve from making that yeah. decision. Um, so he, he stayed in the hospital for many, many months. Um, and it, it, it so as like, again, it was a, it was a long process yeah. involving a lot of different support systems. 
when you had multiple voices, you know, the, his, his family, your friends, you know, all these different people saying things to you, how did you find clarity to say, this is what is right for me? Yeah, there's a scene in the book uh, with, it's a therapy session mm -hmm. and the therapist digs deep and she just asks the questions like, how would it feel? Imagine him being in your home, in our little small home mm -hmm. in San Jose, California, um, 1500 square foot home with the two kids and the cat, you know, and, and you and him, uh, how would that feel? And I just, I lost it. Mm. And so I think, I think how my body physically reacted sure. yeah. to imagining the scenario mm -hmm. is so I, it, it really was that therapy session. I believe that where things started to turn, mm -hmm. um, there was another incident that happened, which is a pivotal scene in the book where I come out of the hospital. Um, I'm quite, my, my weight is quite low. Um, I'm very drained and the social worker, uh, gives me permission to consider another option just temporarily mm -hmm. to have okay. him go to a facility, just a temporary option. And my, my good girl mind is screaming, no, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. He has to come home. You know, what kind of a monster wouldn't yeah. take him home? She said, it's only temporary. And I, and I said, okay, but then it became more permanent. Mm -hmm. You know, now you I've just, given away. Yeah, I've given away the. I know. Okay, we're, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll delete that part. I'm just kidding. But you know, you said something, and, and this is not a counseling session at all. But it was, it was interesting to hear that you say the good girl version of you. Have you ever thought the difference of that? If that's still that, there's a part of you that that feels that you have to. I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You have to do what, like I said, society says, so the, the good, that's the good girl in you. And so are, do people consider you the bad girl at times, bad woman rather, at times? Uh, I'm sure some people do um, yeah. from the choice I made. I know mm -hmm. that some people did, and that's in, yeah. the, that's in the story. I got oh, a lot of pushback. I got a lot of pushback, some yeah. very, very uh, dramatic and aggressive pushback. Mm -hmm. And... Um, yeah, I, I, I talk about, in the book, I talk about my evil twin. Yeah. You know, the, at first, the evil twin is the one saying, you can't take care of him. You know, that's just mm -hmm. going to be too hard, and it's going to be too messy and too difficult. You won't have any freedom, mm -hmm. and you won't have a life. And um, what are the kids going to think? What are their friends going to think yeah. when they come over to play, and their dad is acting, you know, their friend's dad is acting all weird? Mm -hmm. um, all those thoughts went through my head, and all those thoughts, I wrote them down. Um, Which is just, and, you know, I want to normalize that. I mean, that's, that is a normal thought process for anyone. And I don't think people talk about that. And so I'm so glad to hear you say that. Of course, we're not going to give away what's in the book because people are going to purchase it. But it is important to realize the, the, the thoughts we have. And we, you know, if, if someone was to, was to really tape our thoughts, I mean, I know I have some thoughts that are, <laughs> are not the quote, you know, the, the, the psychotherapist thoughts. So I know I have them, you have them, we all have them. But the point is, we often don't talk about those things. And so to normalize that, that you, all those thoughts went through your head is something that I can't imagine a single person would not have any of those thoughts. So thank you for being so bold and so honest and so vulnerable in sharing those things. Yes, I have heard that in some of the reviews I've been told, um, well, not directly, but they've said, mm -hmm. you know, she's so brave. Um, at the time I didn't feel brave at all. Yeah. Right. And, um, it, it has me thinking, Oh my gosh, maybe I did say too much, but I, <laughs> I always thought that was the point of a memoir sure. is to really yeah. be open. And as I was writing it, um, my teachers, my writing teachers were encouraging me, you know, just write it all. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. And later, if you need to edit, you can yeah, do it good. Later. I like that. I <laughs> but like I left that. most of it. <laughs> you know, I, I remember you said that one one lady in particular says she has what is she? Uh, my words, not yours. That you have a very um, like a sailor's mouth at times with some of your thoughts. <laughs> when you told me that, I thought that was hysterical <laughs> because yeah, when we majority of us I used a lot of profanity, <laughs> but you know, I wasn't thinking, oh darn it, <laughs> I wasn't thinking that. So yes. I didn't write that. Yes, exactly. And that's one thing <laughs> and, I really appreciate uh, about you being so vulnerable and be so real because, you know, the majority of us, you know, have, have th- say those things or think those things. So once again, thank you for really being honest with us. That's, that's you know, a couple of years ago, I had a person on my show who also had a, a, a choice like yours. She was a mother and had two kids and she was divorced and she had custody of the kids but she realized she just couldn't care for them the way that they needed to be cared for and so she made a choice as well and so i think you know kind of going back to what you're saying as well as far as um, women have these expectations that are thrust upon them and so to hear her story and to hear your story i love to hear that society may say one thing but there's another aspect of society that also says another thing so it's if someone feels forced into something then that eventually can cause resentment. It can cause so many other things. And so to hear the opposite side or the other side to say, yes, society may say this, but what is your choice and what's healthiest for you overall? Because the healthier you are, the healthier you are for your kids. The healthier you are, the healthier you are for the people around you. So there's so many more aspects to it. And so, you know, the choice that you made is specific for you. And also, you know, whatever happened with him, I'm hopeful that he continues to get the care he needs or that he continue has the, uh, the support he needs from his family and all that as well. So once, once things change, then our, once you know, I don't want to give away with the book. Once, once things change for you, then our, our, the role that we play changes. And when the role play, when the role we play changes, then the, our accountability and what we're, and what we do is different than what it was before. If that makes sense. I'm trying to not say too oh, much. Oh, yes. <laughs> You know, it's a little trickier when it comes to children. Um, I think we all, there's an expectation, there's that word again, um, understanding, accepted norm that if you, if you have children, you understand what it means to take care of them and to commit Mm -hmm. yourselves to them. Right. Um, The reality again is a whole different thing. I think any of us who are parents are like, wow, this is harder than <laughs> they all said uh, it also can be more rewarding than it, than sure, it all said. But right. um, the, the other expectation or understanding is that our parents are going to need care mm-hmm. by us at yeah. some point. That is our role as we get mm-hmm. older and our parents get older, that we're going to somehow manage their care, take care of them or support them. Um, it's just so different when it happens to a spouse, um, yeah, particularly, yeah, in my case, um, when there hadn't been that. Um, strong relationship mm-hmm. at the time of the accident. So, and, I, yeah, um, and, I would, and you know, even to piggyback off that as well, I think, you know, even there to maybe take it a little bit further, if someone did have a strong relationship with that partner or that spouse, <laughs> they could still make that the same choice. They don't necessarily have to be that caretaker. So I think that's important to also figure out as well that sometimes people say, oh, if the relationship was great, you should take care of that person. And of course, that's once again, that person's choice to do what's healthiest for them. And, and I know that may sound crass or people are maybe like, James, how, how can you say that? But once again, we all have choices. We have to do what's healthy and what's right for us. So regardless of love that people may have, they still can make that choice. Oh, absolutely. And in, of course, in the case of brain injury or stroke or... Um dementia, Mm -hmm. um, early onset Alzheimer's, 
um, the person becomes a different person. Yeah, so it's not exactly. the person that you marry, yeah. right? And um, so in my in our case, that was just extreme. He was really not only physically dependent and 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 unstable, but um, um, cognitively. Mm-hmm. And we knew that it wasn't really going to get any better. Sure. You know, there was just no um, question that yeah. it was permanent. <clears throat> yeah. You so. talking more about the reviews in your books, you've gotten so many. I know um, whenever people hear this show, this show was originally um, recorded just a couple weeks after her book was published. Um, and so I am so happy for you. I mean, there's so I, I won't give anything much, you know, too much away about the book, but I know there's more than just this situation. There's so many more elements in this book that it's like, wow, wow, wow. In fact, I want to I want to see it in a miniseries one day because I know this is going to be fantastic. So I'm really looking forward to that. We'll see what happens. But my listeners, I definitely want you to purchase this book, um, Crash, How I Became a Re- I definitely want, let me try that again because I got so excited about the miniseries. <laughs> Her book is Crash, How I Became a Reluctant Caregiver. So before we before we close out though, what's what's next for you? you this is your first book. You're on a book tour. What's going on? <laughs> yes, well, I'm on a virtual uh, blog tour. Um, book tours, I don't know that they'll ever come back the same way, but um, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I'm doing some of these sh- shows, radio shows yeah. and podcasts and NPR interviews, which is great. I've been doing a lot of guest blog posts. Uh, I have, I think I have another book in me. It's going to be my other favorite genre, which is historical fiction based on the life of my mother and grandmother, uh, based in fact, but, uh, and I want it to to highlight the the powerlessness of women in the early and mid 20th centuries. Mm. Um, Both of them were very frustrated in their Again, expectations of sure, having children yeah. and not having careers, and uh, and then sort of circulating around historical events of the time, World War mm-hmm. II, and the tenements of New York City. So that's that's a thought. Wow. That's, it's, it's percolating. Wow. However, um, right now there's there's a lot of uh, I had no idea how much effort <laughs> it was to publicize <laughs> a book, um, and uh, so I'm I'm in the middle of that right now. That's interesting. I, I really I really like that. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's just been such a journey, such a, yeah. such a different direction my, my life took. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's amazing. When, when situations like this happen, we don't know where it's going to go. And so obviously when you felt like well, this is something you wanted to share, you know, a lot of times that just get it off our chest. And then the more it gets off our chest, we're like, oh, there's something here. Somebody reads it like, oh my God, this is amazing. And so with that, to hear how your journey, the, the, the decisions you make and the choices you make, because it wasn't an easy choice. So you make that decision for yourself to get it all on paper, to go through the process of this and now to be a voice for people who are in tough situations to say, what do I do? So I'm so glad to hear that there's a balance or starting to become more of a balance of this is what you can do and this is what you can do. And then this is what you can do. So it's not always one or the other. There are multiple aspects of how that can be fleshed out for someone. So I'm so glad to hear that you are giving people an option for them to figure out what's healthiest for them. Yes, that's, that's one of my goals. And resilience, you know, that uh-huh. it was a pretty awful time. And uh, I just, one one step at a time, yeah. just kept putting one foot in front of the other, you know. And um, so, and it, it, you know, they say when you're going through hell, keep going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't want to stay there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel Michael Berger, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on my show today. If my listeners want to find out more information about you, to purchase your book, Crash, How I Became a Reluctant Caregiver, where would they find this information online? It's rachelmauthor.com. That's my website. And uh, of course, you can go to Amazon, uh, bookshop.org to support independent bookstores. Mm. Uh, just 
just uh, type in the, the name of the book and perfect I'll take it. My listeners know that if they can't find your information any other place, simply go to the show notes in this particular episode and I will link you with Rachel. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on my show today. I truly appreciate all your time. Thanks, James. It was great. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.